everyone. Welcome to the She Geeks Out podcast, where we talk with brilliant folks all about abolishing inequity in the workplace. I'm Rachel. And I'm Felicia. We're the co-founders and co-CEOs of She Geeks Out. This past season, we focused on various aspects of doing the actual work of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. We're so excited by some of the conversations we had, we wanted to release the entire interview in all of its fabulous glory. Last week, we caught you up on all things SGO. And since then, the election happened. Now, we're recording this before the election happened, so we're sure everything went fine. And I mean, that's how we're going to roll. Obviously, everything went fine. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I will not answer that question. <laughs> Been there, done that, was burned. Fair. All right, Fair. well, <laughs> let's exactly. just get into it. So this week, we're going to talk with Ginny Chang, Global Head of Talent and Career Coach. Yeah, so this was recorded in March 2022. And since we're still in a pandemic and everyone's still trying to figure out how to work together in a variety of ways, this conversation is just as relevant now as it was back in March. We talked about hiring inclusively, pay equity and transparency, and how the openness to remote work has changed companies in many ways for the better. Now, on to our chat with Ginny. Hello, Ginny Chang. Hello. How are both of you? We're so good. You know, it's March 2022. You know, here we are. So we're doing (laughs) it. I love Um, this reunion. I'm so excited for it. Jenny, you're you're definitely one of my favorite humans, so I'm I, I'm glad that we got this opportunity to chat. Just a quick intro. So when we last spoke, and we'll refer people to the episode that we did with you way back in simpler times. You were recruiter for Zillow. Now you are global head of recruiting for Aura Ring, and I just think we should just kick things off by just telling us your career journey, your story, and go from there. Yeah. Well, I was trying to be creative and I was like, how do I just include some information that's not on my LinkedIn? So maybe I'll start there. I'm an introvert extrovert. So often I need to hide in my she cave to recover for like hours. And so who knows, maybe I'll do that right after. And I personally have been fascinated with work and travel. So I've often chose companies that had that kind of appeal that had a global impact. Uh, In fact, I was in Asia and Europe for seven years as an adult, just working abroad. Now, I decided that during the time that we had homeschooling situation with my 10-year-old at the time, that I was not ever cut out for teaching, but I was still pretty good at coaching. So over the time, I've career pivoted three times, and talent acquisition and career coaching has been the longest journey. And so, yes, you mentioned I'm currently at Aura Ring. Before that, I was a recruiting leader with Zillow. And before that, I was with Facebook of a seven-year journey. And three of those years was actually in Europe. Awesome. So you have so much experience in, you know, globally, in the recruiting world. And what we would love to hear a little bit is, of course, it's 2022 at the time of this recording. Everyone's talking about the great resignation. We're talking about more than just one R. We're talking about resignation, reshuffling, relocation, reimagining. So much is happening right now. And you're sort of right in the middle of it with your role and your experience. So what are your thoughts around sort of like what comes next with the future of work given where we're at right now? 
Sure. I think, first of all, we're all part of this future work ecosystem. I don't think we necessarily signed up for it. But now, to me, the pace, how fast it's moving, it's really more like now of work. So, and companies are... And companies and employees are both learning as we go, but I will say the companies that evolve to understand what employees need permanently is more important than ever. And I think you mentioned it high on that list is really the flexibility in how, when, and where we work. So the workforce, which is all of us, we once were the complainers, right, about life-work balance, but we're finally starting to do something about it and just deciding what non-negotiables are. We still care about pay equity, but in general, many people, including me, would consider companies that offer the intrinsic values like belonging culture, flexible work, contract work, benefits that suit their life stage, moving back and forth between being an IC or people manager, four-day work weeks. Wow, how would that go? Part-time job sharing, equal and generous uh, mat and pat leave. And that's just to name a few. And even if that means getting maybe a little less paid. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's really interesting to see how people's values are showing up at work and how employers are really responding to that. What we're trying to do is figure out What does diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, justice, how does that fit in for the employee that is making these choices and and saying, okay, I'm going to apply to 10 different places and I'm going to maybe have some spreadsheet of my values and all of the benefits and weighing in and out. How would you recommend in sort of, because you are in this really cool space of being both a coach and being on the other side, working for a company? How would you approach finding the fit as an employer to an employee and then as and also for the employee to figure out how they can find the right fit for them for the right employer? Yeah, and that is one of those questions that's going to be different from any coaches or even individuals because mm-hmm. what it feels like belonging at a company it may start from like the day-to-day in your immediate team. Because most of us, when we interview, we interview mostly with the immediate manager. We may have a cross partner that, that might be in our interview loop. If we're lucky, we get a get to know someone that's already working at a company. And obviously, if you're like mid-sized and larger companies, the likelihood of you having uh, someone you can talk to about the culture and you know internal mobility, for example, like what does it all mean, makes it easier. So it's really about collecting that information. Now, for startups, I think that may become more difficult. A lot of that is going to be instinct as you read about what's external, what are they showing up with, what stories are out there. And it's really not necessarily about being on the list of best companies to work for. I mean, I do think those have values, but they shouldn't be the only sort of, I guess, measurement you can think about because generally not everybody, every company has the ability to focus on those things. I'm going to say there's no easy fixes. It's March right now. It's Women History Month. You'll see a lot more companies sharing about these efforts. Some people might say it's being performative, but I like to give the benefit of the doubt because I do think different size companies will have will be at a different point of the journey. And I would recommend, honestly, any startup ensuring 
DEI values are incorporated in the corporate values or mission, it makes it easier to be imprinted and be part of their everyday conversations. And it's also easier to scale. As a person of color myself, it's easy to want to go to places that have already an established DEI community, right? An employee resource group that you can be a part of. But for many builders, and I one of those that are not there yet, that are maybe just starting to focus their DEI journey. And we want to be part of that ecosystem to help us foster for future employees to join. So I think it really depends on where you are, where you want to make an impact. I do think the foundational things for a company would be when they do commit to this, it means starting to enlist those values in how they interview, how they find passive talent, how they move beyond just referral programs if your current population isn't diverse, and being a supporter and partner with organizations that are already doing great work, like your organization, right? If they want to make that connection, it's going to feel more authentic because you have already built that relationship with your community long-term and not because it's company-specific. Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting because I do think that as more and more companies and organizations are talking and thinking and trying to really incorporate diversity, inclusion, equity, justice into values, their mission, their approaches, their policies, it it's not a bad thing necessarily, but sometimes, especially at a corporate level, it can start to feel a little bit similar because there's only so many ways you can say, you know, that you support these things <laughs> in a unique way, company to company or even industry to industry. And what we know is that a lot of the sort of overall culture and experience when it comes to this these sort of topics does actually come back to individuals and the day-to-day type of interactions. And so given your role, not only as a coach, but also as head of recruiting, I'm really curious how that plays out for you in terms of what you get involved with, because you're obviously, I'm assuming, really involved with a candidate as they go through the process. And then does that extend once they join the organization? Do you, have, as in your role, have any involvement with that? Is there any yeah. thought process around that bridge? Just curious around your yeah. experience and thoughts around that. I'm going to start with it takes a village. And then part of it is, you know, it's really about a handoff process as well. It's true that Mm -hmm. with recruiting, our focus is on talent attraction, but we also don't want to be the one to share things that are not true about a company. So I'm pretty open for any company I've been at is where the strengths are, where the opportunities are, just like you would do in any performance evaluation for an individual. I would say oftentimes I will have information that are just to give people more of an understanding, uh, especially if you are, you know, applying for a company that maybe you know their product, maybe it's a startup, maybe it's like Aura Ring, but because there's not as, not as deep concentration of what's it like to work for a culture, you're not always get that, you know, information. So I, I guess what I would say is it really depends and it depends a little bit on your intellectual curiosity, but also how much the company is willing to share. And each team is going to be different, but I do think it is the recruiter's job. Now, once they're through the process, candidate experience, that definitely takes a village because it is in, let's say, recruiting, making the final decision, but it is recruiting 
uh, have the ability to keep our candidates informed once they are in the process, in the interviewing process. Mm -hmm. And then once they onboard, I would find many candidates still reach out to recruiting because it's not necessarily really clear, like when that handoff is, or they just like a familiar, you know, a partner. But that like for my onboarding, it was pretty clear. They they use tools and platforms that let me know exactly what I would need my first week, who are my contacts, what are slacks I should join. So all of these things can ease it. Now, in my case, they did also mention to me during my onboarding all the different Slack channels that are part of the culture of a company, if, if you know, women's health groups, because that's our focus at Aura. So I do think it's going to be, it's somewhat customized, but I do think in order to scale certain systems and platforms needs to be in place in order to get the foundational that everybody gets the equal sort of onboarding experience and then everything else is icing on the cake. I love that. And relatedly, it reminded me of, and I put this in a little chat, but it reminded mm-hmm. me of something that we see is that there can be sometimes a disconnect in priorities and goals between the recruiting team and hiring managers. And I'm wondering if you've experienced that or if you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Everybody's mm-hmm. always in alignment. But if yeah. not, I would love to hear some of the challenges and maybe how you view ways to overcome them. Yeah. I have two keywords, which is ruthless. Reprioritization is one of them. And the other is really empathy of where the business needs are and where the recruiting's challenges are. As long as we get to those two conversations, the alignment may not always be there, right? The urgency to hire someone and hire in a very competitive market, you can understand it, but it may not still work as fast as you like. But I think the key part is the understanding. Or Mm -hmm. if your company or decide that there are certain metrics about diversity conversations, we just have to make sure all the state understand that that is the case and there's going to be a balance to all of it. So I think that's how I would approach it. So personally, yes, I've experienced it. It's almost asking, have we like the diversation. Not really, because again, each company is different. Many leaders come from other companies. So there might be already preferred partnership, things that we have to relearn, get to know each other, depending on the growth of the company. And at the end of the day, when I say prioritization, I do mean coming to a consensus that if everyone thinks their roles are important, I mean, someone still have to be the decision maker. And usually it should not fall on the recruiting because you don't always get roadmap or trajectory to make those hard calls. Totally, totally. And just to follow up on that too, like an example is, and this is just really very generic. It's like, I'm the hiring manager. My friend Bob needs a job. I got, he's great. I just, you know, and like, I got a need and it's, I just want to make it very practical for people. Like when I'm talking about this sort of (laughs) maybe misalignment in goals is like, then that is how bias can certainly creep up. And the the recruiting team is like, Hey, we just, we have all of these things that we should probably follow. (laughs) Those definitely happen. You know, everybody has a nephew or 
or <laughs> an uncle. But I think that's, but that's also part of networking too. Networking does include being family mm-hmm. members and people in industry. There's nothing wrong with that. I think the situation gets tricky when you want to skip a certain process. For example, yeah. well, this person's perfect. I don't want to interview with other people. Right. So so it's really more about the intention versus opportunity. I do think Mm -hmm. if this if Bob is indeed a a great talent, there's no reason why we should ignore that fact, because it may be a referral and it may be true. But the 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 honest conversation, the alignment should be we haven't uh, explored enough talent or why don't we have a conversation to make the process a bit more equitable. Love it. And you just mentioned networking. And so I'm really curious, Jenny, in your experience, I, one of my favorite things to say, especially these days is even though time is a social construct, we're still bound by it. And so even though it is technically 2022, who knows what's happening in the world? All that Mm -hmm. being said, are you seeing any major differences in terms of how people are looking for jobs or even making those career transitions given everything that's going on right now in today, 2022 versus (laughs) maybe like pre-pandemic, for example, like 2019? Are there any major trends or shifts that you're seeing? Yeah, because you talked about great R earlier. And my own word is actually I think that if we have the mindset or aspirational goal about life-work balance or integration, which you'll notice I've now started to talk about life in front of work when I talk about this topic, and knowing what is most important for you, your mental health life stage. And you'll notice I talk about the different life stage because my 20s, my priorities were super different as to what how I want to spend my time now and why remote work is important. I would say in 2022, there are many things I see improving in, in 2022 than before. But the areas I do still see where we have opportunities include how we hire mature workers, usually referencing those 50 and over. We can do a better job on matching transferable skills to what we're hiring for, because the truth is many of us don't just go into the career or maybe we do go into the career that we study. And then once we get deep with expertise, we might realize we want to do something else. And it really takes a lot on the candidate to figure those transferable skills, but it also takes companies to recognize how those skills can match. What are those core fundamentals that they can do this job and we only have to train them certain specifics, maybe a specific platform, a technology. So I think those are two areas that I I see more opportunities. And to me, they apply to everyone, right? They don't just apply to a certain target of people, but just really everyone that's in those categories. To me, honestly, I know if people feel like they can power through online applications and they're still not hearing those kind of return or responses. I mean, that is very true. I've experienced it myself. So it's not like, in fact, I got my Oura Ring job partly because they were working with an executive firm firm found me. So I didn't even know that that role existed. So part of that networking was also then finding out that my network also included someone that was working at Aura and probably had some you know, information about me to kind of help the process and recommend me in some way. So 
I guess what I'm saying is if had this been an on- online application, maybe there were there would have been a lot more applications and maybe I wouldn't have been part of that, you know, uh, chosen group to kind of move forward. So even I'm admitting I would never go through just online applications without finding out if I have some type of network, even if it's like second degree connections, or I'm part of a community that may have someone that worked there. Hmm. I have a follow-up question to that because I, I mean, I, I love the the realness of it, right? Because <laughs> it's the reality and we can be aware of that and name it. But are you finding, especially with your coaching hat on, are you finding people having challenges with building their network given the effects of the ongoing pandemic? Because I'm just thinking of folks who are earlier in their journeys or maybe even right out of college who are not able to access the same kind of in-person opportunities that they might have had just a few years ago. Yeah, everything I do or recommend is purely on the uh, comforts from your own computer screen. So a lot of, whether that's webinars, attending sessions, going to General Assembly, they have free courses, like all of those opportunities allow you to network. And even organizations that used to have in-person events no longer do that. So I'm part of Recruiters Network, specifically in California. If we have future events, likely it's going to be um, online, which really allows more people to join because even when we talk about San Francisco or Bay Area, it's it's pretty far, right? Like people would drive and and because of remote work, many people have actually moved outside of the Bay Area. So I think the equitable experience of networking has actually made it better. And I can attest to that even attending or coaching at uh, conferences that used to be in person and it became online the way I can coach more people, uh, the flow is better, the way people can network with each other in chat boxes, all those things I could say in live events, you probably meet maybe five to 10 people on average, but on online events, you can be way more and there's recording and you can stalk people afterwards. I mean, honestly, yes, networking, a little stalking, nothing wrong with that. Felicia, did you have a follow-up to that? No, no. Go no, it, no, I just, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I call myself a closeted introvert myself. So totally appreciate all of that. I wanted to talk a little bit too. I'm glad that you mentioned sort of, you know, older folks and how companies can adjust to that. I'm also thinking about folks that are returning to work. I think, you know, we certainly saw a lot of folks leaving work and now maybe some are coming back and how companies are really trying to attract that kind of talent if they are and what they're doing to, to, to bring folks in and make sure that they have an environment that is conducive to that for those folks. I, you know, I used to have this list of all the companies that are nudging people to come back. This has changed a lot, actually, because now kind of opened up to remote work or hybrid work idea. So I don't know what the actual percentage, but the way I would look at it, these companies evolved because they saw what their employees are, you know, looking for. They're seeing some trends. And I really commend those that you're not, it's not about setting policies that you want everybody to adhere to, or you want full adoption. It's actually asking and piloting to see what's going to work in different 
companies. I recently really like there's a group of companies that are starting to focus on giving more breaks in between the years. So it's not paid time off, but like company-wide uh, mm. time off, knowing that, you know, stressors of work and pandemic or end pandemic is still going to be, there's still going to be some effects, I would say at least this year, if not a little bit more. So I don't know if I answered your question in that way, but that's what came to my mind when you asked that question. You didn't, but you answered a great question. The question I was talking about were people who literally left the workforce. Ah, yes. Sorry, I did miss no, that part. No, it um, was great that you that you answered that too. We'll absolutely be able to use that. So Yeah, no. Okay. So yes. One of the things about great reprioritization is yes, a lot of people decided, or maybe in some way, maybe forced to leave the job workforce for a while. So I think on the company side, the responsibility for them would be to normalize, uh, let's say, gap in resumes or people taking time away from work, however long it may be. I do think that, again, that is on the company side. But for for many of us um, that may take some time off, it may be for uh, being a caretaker. Some people are part of a sandwich generation, so they have kids and they also have parents they have to take care of, especially the last two years with homeschooling and all that fun. But also there are people who may not have that uh, a responsibility to take time off, but they want to for their own mental health. Maybe they've been working for many years since they were young and and maybe they're trying to take some time to think about career transitions or pivoting, and they, they feel like they want to focus on that. None of those should be penalized when they decide they want to go back to it. So I know there are companies out there that are trying to ease people in, and I really think those are all important. And But what in order for those to be successful, it's the companies that either have to partner with them closely and make that commitment happen, or overall, not care about people's gap resume. Stop you know, stop treating like it's the end of the world that people actually are off uh, or, or or not working for a few years. Perfect. Yeah, I love that because I feel like there's been this really interesting shift where in the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of organizations were like, yes, of course, take time off, do what you need to do. We're all in this together, a lot of check-ins, all that kind of stuff. And now I feel like not every company, but a lot of organizations are like, back to work as usual. And we forgot about the last, you know, year or two of us readjusting. And so I'm curious because we're seeing such a big trend with people saying, you know, guess what? This doesn't work for me anymore, or I need something different, or I don't want to be here. What advice do you have for people who are at organizations where maybe it's not totally toxic, but it's not great? Do you feel like people should try to be addressing these issues internally before they jump ship? Or yeah. is it just like, you know what? This is the reality. Like, go where you you are valued. What's your yeah, thought on that? Yeah. They, you know, you know how we say, like, managers or maybe just in general, people are not mind readers. So, you know, that's why we have employee surveys and people are supposed to be anonymous and will say these things. But they're not necessarily specific because they're anonymous. So I do think what you just said is, yes, you do want to address this reprioritization within your current situation, within your current company, because maybe you never hired. It's important to you now, after the pandemic, maybe before when you 
weren't a mother, you were able to take on more projects that were, you know, more time sensitive. Maybe you chose that because that was your part of your interest, but maybe for your current life stage is different. So that's why I talk about life stages a lot. I think companies just need to realize that first of all, one size doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. And as long as they encourage that platform or opportunity for people to talk about it, essentially the first line of conversation that's going to help you decide if this company is really going to step up for what you need is your conversation with your immediate manager. And if all else fails, or you decide there are other interesting priorities you want to explore. It's not because you don't like your current situation. You just simply maybe been there for a long time and now there's different new companies that are popping up or opportunities. Or maybe you, again, you want to maybe think about pivoting a little bit of what you want to do. You can do that. And for many people, actually, that means they might want to do more of a side project or side hustle, as some people call it. It's not to... It's, it's not, the intention isn't to add on more work or responsibility in your life, but it's more giving you the opportunity to explore what gives you the flow, like what balance out your interest and maybe what you want to do down the road. Love that flow. I'm all about it. <laughs> so I wanted to, I've, I've been thinking about this, this question around, so for an employee, a potential employee candidate to come in and want to get, if, if they want to get a really good sense of what the company's culture is like, especially now that we're all remote, I've been thinking about like, what are the kinds of questions they can ask recruiters and hiring managers sort of get in that to get those answers? Yeah. The one thing I do recommend, I don't, I can't think of immediate questions, but I, I, the one thing I do encourage the people I talk to to do is actually ask them if you, especially if you're getting an offer, right? The ball is in your court to ask them to talk to someone who's been at this company, let's say have seen some things like in the last two years, the growth and somebody that they can simply just ask questions and it should be deemed this conversation again, more conversational. It's not an interview. It doesn't mean if you ask certain questions, they're going to rescind your offer, but it's truly just to get to understand that. And that could depend what you need. So for example, maybe it's, you know, you're so interested about this product and where the longevity is, and you probably signed an NDA. So you might want to talk to a product leader. You can request those things to just get an idea. Or maybe if it's a company that does have an employee resource group or an ERG that you're interested in being a part of, maybe asking if you can speak with someone who's uh, maybe an officer or somebody who's been involved in that and, and to see how that works. So the key is about asking the ball again is on your court by the time you have an offer and you're for making a decision and that will give you another you know opportunity again this is especially probably helpful for again companies that are smaller and you just don't know yet what their company culture is like yeah thank you that's helpful what about on the flip side of that Ginny? so I think that there's so many ways that a, a candidate can do what you just explained. And I love that idea of being like, you know what, before I sign on the dotted line, like, let me get as much information as possible. Which, by but the way, there... you should negotiate. You should still negotiate. negotiate your offer. Yes. Okay, so. yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Negotiate. 
But on the flip side, from the company's perspective, like, do you think there's an onus on the company, whether it's the recruiter, the hiring manager, or anyone else who's involved in the interview process to be maybe even like adding in certain questions to the repertoire to get at things that maybe are not so much job related or skill set related, but more around values? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked a little bit about like, equity and belonging, do you feel like companies are doing that? Or if they're not, they should be? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm going to say they should be. But especially if you're hiring people managers or leaders, because that's going to affect the tone and the culture and what they bring in. Now, a lot of times for leaders that are probably more extroverts, they probably will have posted things on their LinkedIn about projects they're involved in or organization that they're you know, involved in or things that they've been doing for their company. But that's not always going to be the case. So if you don't have that information, it is important to ask. So I'll use an example I think is important for companies that have to partner globally with different regions and countries because those were slightly different. So asking a hiring manager their past experience, how have they made it? What were some of the challenges? How did they ensure how they partnered and made sure everybody had the same say versus very maybe US-centric or wherever the Mm -hmm. headquarter of the company is? So in that case, it's really, it touches on maybe not the, it should touch actually the company value. So I'm sure many company values will include things like partnership or being a team. And that should be able to have them answer what are some things that they think about? How did they manage that workforce? The question I like to ask is how have they helped their team, especially people that are no longer working under them? Like, have they helped them move companies or even Mm. internally for internal mobility? So it's really about what they say of what they keep in mind for their team. To me, that's important, at least for managers. Love that. Same. All right. So I want to go back to this negotiation thing that you mentioned, always negotiate. Because so Felicia and I are, you know, we hire people and we've had lots of conversations around how, you know, we, we encourage people to negotiate, but we also want to be really honest about where we're at. We don't want to quote unquote play games, right? We want to provide a fair assessment, but we know that we need to encourage folks to negotiate for themselves because this is the system we live in. So we struggle with the concept of negotiation as employers and wanting to make sure that everyone should fairly. So let's say you get an, uh, which I think is probably very common still, even though women are encouraged to negotiate, that maybe women still are a little bit more hesitant to do so. How do you, as the on the recruiting team handle that? Are you just sort of like, well, it is what it is, or do you try to encourage? I'd be curious to know. I find in my experience that maybe it's through my work. I'm quite a few more pay equity focused uh, groups or uh, conversations um, I've had. And maybe because of that, people feel comfortable in talking to me about wanting to negotiate. And I think you actually hit a really good point, which companies like yours that are already very future-centric when it comes to offering, that you want to offer the best you know, deal. I do think the way you solve that would be salary transparency. If a company decide they're going to do that, and of course, obviously with Denver and New York that's doing this, at least you have an idea of that range. And even when you explain why maybe they are not getting the top of the range, 
it may have a better, there's still a transparency conversation that feels like that doesn't feel, I don't even know what's the right word. It just feels more open. So I think that could be one way to, to think about it. And also people think about negotiation sometimes too, just base paced, like base pay. So, um, you know, obviously there's different parts of it. It's the total compensation. Um, it's also doing research about based on your years of experience. So even though we talk about pay equity, you may end up in an organization where you feel like the pay isn't the same with all your coworkers, because that's not what pay equity is meant to be. It's just saying within the range of that job, based on your experience, you would fall within that range. That's the best I could say for I do know many companies that will say, hey, because we want you very much so, we're going to give you the best day. So you can take it with a grain of salt because that's sometimes can feel like a tactic because you really don't know, again, without salary transparency. How do you really know you're getting that offer? It should never be punitive for just asking. If anything, it's a good practice because think about once you get into a company, how many times will you have to influence and for whatever reason, new budgets, new training, new things for your team. So really to me, it's about the muscle of asking and getting comfortable with asking, even if you're not comfortable, that's going to make the difference. That's I hope I answered most of your questions. Jenny, you're a delight. So it was great. It was totally helpful. You know, it's, and it's such an important topic for folks as they're thinking about this um, on both sides of the, the, of the table, as I always have in my mind. I try to encourage people to also stay right at their own company to talk Mm -hmm. about, like, you don't have, no one has to leave a company to, you know, get better at anything. So, you know, that's true. That is true. That is yeah, such yeah. a great point. Well, I think we did it. There's probably 300 more questions we could ask, but we I want to honor time. <laughs> Yay. Well, thank you so much. You. I appreciate the time. Same. And uh, happy March. Happy March. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, that was so informative. Yeah, I learned so much and I'm such a fan of Jenny's. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Please don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe. It makes a huge difference in the reach of this podcast and by extension, this work. If you're looking to further your own knowledge and gain support alongside other incredible people, join our free community at risetogether.shegeeksout.com. You'll get a welcoming, built-in support system grounded in the values of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You'll have access to bonus episodes, additional resources, courses, 